Welcome back to the Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Avi Cooper, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Hannah Abrams and Tony Brew. How are you both doing? Doing great. I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> feeling salty? Feeling salty? Not at all. Uh, <laughs> Not <in the laughs> I will least. a little bit. <laughs> well, for this episode, we're going to be comparing two conditions, heart failure with reduced ejection fraction and heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, and ask why these states are associated with sodium retention. So, Tony, where should we begin? I want to stay very clearly up front that we won't, I won't be offering a really tidy explanation for sodium retention and heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, so also known as HEFPEF. I was telling these guys before we started recording, I've searched for years and years for an answer to this question and have found only partial explanations, like really, really partial. And so this is actually one of those episodes where uh, I'm really interested in what the audience has to say. Because uh, I think when the discussion, when our discussion is complete, there's probably something that will be missing. So I just need to get that sort of, you know, preface out of the way. So tell us more about why you've been curious about this for so long. Well, I, I think like most of us, I learned that heart failure with reduced ejection fraction or HEF-REF, that in that condition, you've got decreased cardiac output, and that leads to a decrease in effective circulating volume and neurohormonal activation. And this all leads to an increase in norepinephrine, renin, angiotensin 2, and aldosterone. And collectively, that conspires to cause sodium retention. I suspect that the two of you guys kind of heard a similar story or were taught a similar sort of mechanism. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds about right. And I don't know that I ever doubted it. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I, I don't doubt that that's what happens in HEFREF, but th I think there is a little bit of a paradox, because if we assume that the cardiac output is not decreased in HEF-PEF, the question becomes, what's the inciting event leading to neurohormonal activation and sodium retention? And is there even neurohormonal activation at all? Well, before we get to the potential explanations that you found for sodium retention in HEF-PEF or heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, does it make sense to sort of, you know, maybe briefly establish that the mechanism that we all learn for HEF-REF is actually true? Sort of like Hannah said, you know, we haven't really doubted that. And I guess I'm a little bit worried you might tell us that we're wrong here as well. I mean, if past is any guide, that might be the case. But I'm actually pretty confident that we have got the pathophysiology of HEFREF worked out. And by we, I mean all the scientists who came before us. So there, you know, there are early animal models of HEFREF, and those show that if you experimentally lead to a reduction in cardiac output, this causes an increase in renin and aldosterone. Uh, and that in these animal studies, this was accompanied by an increase in water intake and an increase in sodium retention. Of course, we also have human data that shows that in HEFREF patients, there is an increase in renin and norepinephrine uh, when, when you compare these patients with those who don't have heart failure. So I, I think we're on pretty solid footing in HEFREF when we say that there's a you know, decrease in cardiac output, and this leads to a decreased effective circulating volume and a compensatory increase in renin, aldo, norepi. Uh, and as I said earlier, that that sort of connection one to the other to the other leads to the sodium retention. So the crux of the question or the paradox really centers around this idea that people with HEF-PEF or preserved EF have a normal cardiac output. And that, that makes a lot of sense because their left ventricular ejection fraction is normal. But is there actually data to show that cardiac output is normal in HEF-PEF? Yeah. So at rest, most patients with HEF-PEF have a normal cardiac output and normal cardiac index. So sort of depending on the study, they'll report one or the other. But what's interesting and something that I, I hadn't learned 
is that these patients lack cardiac output reserve. So basically, they're unable to increase their heart rate with exercise, leaving them unable to augment their cardiac output to the same extent as patients who don't have FPEF. There are probably multiple reasons why this happens. Uh, so for example, there is probably downregulation of beta receptors and desensitization to catecholamines because catecholamines are chronically elevated in this state. But regardless of the mechanism, this chronotropic incompetence, this inability to augment heart rate, means that with exercise, the cardiac output isn't raised as much in HEF-PEF patients as it is in patients who don't have HEF-PEF. So if neurohormonal pathway activation is sort of the key step to lead to sodium retention and sort of the volume overload state that we see in heart failure, is there evidence to suggest that in HEF-PEF that this lack of uh, cardiac output reserve with exercise, it's enough to activate that neurohormonal you know, pathway and, and lead to that sodium retention? It's a great question, and it's one that I um, I tried to find a clear answer to. And so the short answer is I don't know. I'll say that I haven't seen authors suggest that this chronotropic incompetence and this lack of cardiac output reserve, I haven't seen authors suggest that this is enough to lead to neurohormonal activation. And my sense is that if the only time the cardiac output cardiac index is inadequate is with exercise, that that alone probably isn't enough to lead to the neurohormonal activation. But this is, again, where uh, I'll be interested to hear from uh, listeners to tell me, uh, no, Brew, you, you've got this wrong. Here's a paper showing that it is. So what about sort of just, you know, in general, are some of those factors that we've already talked about, um, you know, renin, aldosterone, norepinephrine, that are increased in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, are they also increased in these patients with preserved ejection fraction as well? Um, again, a little bit of a hedgy answer. It depends on the study, but the answer is like a maybe probably. <laughs> so you know, in 1993, you know, Benedict and all published an analysis of a cohort of patients that had been included in the SOLVED registry. And so the SOLVED study actually had it aimed to examine patients with a depressed ejection fraction, but they had patients in the registry with an ejection fraction uh, greater than or equal to 45%. And so this 1993 study by Benedict looked at that subset of patients with a preserved EF. And the investigators examined the values of norepinephrine and renin in these patients with uh, HEF-PEF and compared them to patients with HEF-REF and to patients without heart failure. And they found that the values of both renin and norepinephrine were lower in HEF-PEF patients than in HEF-REF patients. And this is something you kind of see repeatedly in the, the studies looking at this. They also found that the norepinephrine values were no different in HEF-PEF than in controls. There was a slight increase in the renin levels in HEF-PEF compared to controls, compared to those who didn't have heart failure, but it was only a very, like you look at the figure and we'll post this in uh, the show notes, it's like a very mi mildly uh, increased, but it was there. So fast forward about 10 years uh, and there was a study published in 2002 in JAMA. And this reported, again, mildly increased norepinephrine levels in patients with HEF-PEF when compared with control. So you can already see there's a little bit of a kind of a mixed bag here. The most recent data that I looked at kind of supports this idea that patients with HEF-PEF, when you compare them to HEF-REF, they have lower le levels of renin, aldosterone, and norepinephrine. So overall, if you kind of look at this data, it's 
I would say conflicting. Some show elevations in norepinephrine compared to controls, while others don't. Some show elevations in renin compared to controls, others don't. I think the one consistent finding is that the values in HEFPEF are consistently lower than the values in HEFREF. And so when I look at this, and I sort of take it as a whole, and I, and I think this is how others interpret it as well, I think these data suggest that in HEFREF, neurohormonal activation is central, with studies sort of consistently supporting this mechanism. But in HEFPEF, neurohormonal activation it might play a role, but the data is a lot less consistent and I would say less convincing. So this seems to maybe fit in with the fact that at least traditionally and in a lot of the research and practice to date, blocking neurohormonal activation has been less successful in HEFPEF. Does that seem like the correlation? Yeah, I think as a general statement, that's mostly accurate. And, you know, when I learned about HEFREF and I learned about the most effective treatments, I thought it was so cool that the treatments followed the pathophysiology, right? If you blunted the increase in catecholamines with beta blockers and you blunted the RAS activation with ACE inhibitors, ARBs and RNAs and aldosterone antagonists, like the patients got better. There was a mortality benefit. I thought that was like just like exactly what you want to see, pathophysiology leading to treatment. But, you know, these studies just haven't been as effective in RCTs of patients of, uh, with HEFPEF. Um, so these therapies have not been as effective. And I don't know that this is all that surprising in light of the kind of mixed bag data on the neurohormonal activation that I just mentioned. Now, it is worth noting that some studies suggest using uh, aldosterone antagonists and or ARNIs, uh, but I'll say that the strength of these recommendations in like sort of guidelines is tempered by the paucity of data. It's not like a, you know, a class 1A recommendation in most cases. So it sounds like neurohormonal activation does occur in HEF-PEF, though perhaps it's not as pronounced as in HEF-REF with reduced ejection fraction, but it is is there. Um, and I guess I will say there is there can be a little bit of a spectrum here too, right? Absolutely. Between, we have these low normal EFs. Yeah. There's moderate range EF, right? So which I'm not even going to touch that. Right, exactly. Have these sort of, yes, exactly. Have these sort of low normal. And so, but I think for the purposes of, of, of these studies, they have to sort of characterize in this way. But, you know, going back to the central question, um, you know that you know if if neurohormonal activation does occur to some extent in HEF-PEF, but we can't really pin it on decreased cardiac output because that's not the problem in HEF-PEF. What can we attribute it to? So for some patients, clearly not all, but for some patients, an explanation might be obesity. So I think the first thing to remember is that obesity is a common comorbidity in patients with HEFPEF. Again, not seen in every patient, but it's it's more common in HEFPEF than in HEFREF. And amazingly, something that totally shocked me when I first read it is that adipocytes have been shown to produce and secrete aldosterone all their own. This is like totally independent of the adrenal glands. Hmm. Why? Uh, why? <laughs> why is that? Yeah, like, why would they do that? Yeah, that's obviously the question that I had. And um, this is what gets me, like, I, I see the results of these papers. And so I immediately am like, okay, I got to find what they say in the background or the discussion that explains this. And there are multiple potential reasons. One is that adipocyte-derived aldosterone might enhance adipogenesis and uh, adipocyte hypertrophy in kind of an autocrine fashion. And the aldosterone might also have vascular effects at the level of the adipocyte, which are beneficial to that cell or to that subset of cells, even if it leads to sort of detrimental overall effects to the body. But you know, this is 
seems intentional. And I think the reason I say that is it's not just the adipocyte that's secreting aldosterone itself, but there are actually other mechanisms by which they increase aldosterone. And one involves a hormone that I think many of us have heard about, but haven't necessarily thought of in the context of HFPEF, and that's leptin. So that's the hormone. Leptin's the hormone that blocks hunger, right? That's right. That's right. You know, it was discovered in 1994, and it's kind of gone from being the satiety hormone to having dozens and dozens of effects. And one of these, again, totally news to me, was that it, through various mechanisms, can also increase aldosterone levels. Not something I would have predicted. And so I think if you take some of these studies together uh, of patients who have obesity and elevated aldosterone levels, it kind of supports this idea that in obesity-associated HFPEF, the aldosterone isn't simply a result of cardiac dysfunction, but is actually a product of the adipose tissue itself. Now, this, I'll be totally honest, you know, doesn't explain the elevated renin and norepinephrine levels we saw in some of these studies, but it kind of makes the point that there are mechanisms other than reduced cardiac output that are almost certainly at play here. And I've got to be honest, I'm kind of excited to see how this mechanism of sodium retention may play out in the sort of years ahead. Can we also just give a shout out to, um, to adipocytes for being like, and yeah. endocrine glands, essentially, <laughs> secreting all these hormones. Like, that's incredible. And, and to the listeners, I don't know if it's adipocyte or adipocyte. I'm going with adipocyte, but the adipocyte proponents just recognize that I know you're out there. <laughs> I still wonder how this plays in with, like, leptin and cardiac cachexia, which is this yeah. sort of, like, paradoxical weight loss that we see with decompensation, though I, I don't know that that's sort of been studied yet. And I'll you know say there's all this interplay with uh, neprilysin and leptin and aldosterone and you know Milton Packer who was the sort of the first person to coin the term you know neurohormonal hypothesis back twenty some odd years ago he's kind of been on the forefront as well of a lot of this um, uh, obesity mediated aldosterone and sort of leptin neprilysin mediated hyperaldosteronism so it's it's kind of cool that he's shepherded two different sort of main mechanisms amazing okay so let's assume that. You know, because we know that the neurohormonal activation with HEF-PEF is sort of a little bit more tepid and weaker than in HEF-REF, so maybe it's not enough to cause sodium retention um, on its own. What alternate explanations have been offered? Yeah, I, you know, I got to say that this is really understudied, and I find that shocking given how common HEF-PEF is. One of the theories I came across uh, has been proposed by James Fang and others. So Dr. Fang is a researcher and a chief, the chief of cardiovascular medicine at the University of Utah. And he has wondered if primary renal sodium retention plays a role in HEFPEF. So the idea here is that the kidneys become sodium avid not in response to some external stimulus like decreased effective circulating volume, but they are then instead themselves the instigator kind of reclaiming the sodium independent of decreased cardiac output, decreased effective circulating volume. And this kind of idea that they're just sort of bad actors reclaiming sodium without an external signal, it's the kind of... yeah, they're, they're, exactly. They're going rogue. This is something we talked about in episode 31 when we covered the mechanism of edema and nephrotic syndrome. Because remember there, it was... It wasn't you know, decreased effective circulating volume, the quote-unquote underfill hypothesis, but rather the overfill hypothesis that was the kind of the, the key thing that many nephrologists feel like is, is, is going on. Yeah. I guess you could call it nephef when that happens. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I, it makes sense. There's clearly a link between chronic kidney disease and hef-pef, although it's always hard to diagnose both simultaneously since they affect each other so much. 
But that seems to make a lot of sense. This connection between CKD and HEFPAF, yeah, I think that's right. And you know, Dr. Fang has suggested that HEFPAF might kind of sit at the renal end of the cardiorenal syndrome. And I got to say that the exact mechanism and interplay, it remains to be elucidated. And I got to hope there's people out there who are working on it. When you read the the studies and the reviews, there's a lot of hand-waving about endothelial injury and inflammation and uh, I'll be honest, it's a little bit beyond my understanding how those would lead to primary sodium retention, but it's, I think, felt by many to, to play a role. But kind of remarkably, this is the best alternative to neurohormonal activation that I encountered in the kind of four years that I've been searching for an answer. And this, again, for like the third or fourth time is kind of one of the main reasons why I'm interested to see what the audience has to say. Amazing. All right. Well, I'm, I'm interested to see too. What, um, do you have any final thoughts for them to set them on their journeys? <laughs> yes, I, I definitely do. So I think the final thought is that I, I think this discussion highlights the heterogeneity of HEFPEF. You know, it's a clinical syndrome, and it's a clinical syndrome of heart failure with a preserved EF, but it results from a lot of different conditions, a lot of different sort of comorbid conditions. You know, like for some, the main driver might be CKD, and for others, it might be obesity, and for others still, it might be hypertension. Um, and so we kind of shouldn't be surprised at the data on the pathophysiology um, on the neurohormonal activation, all this is murky. And I think these different phenotypes often get lumped together, but I don't know, maybe they shouldn't be. But that's, I think, for the cardiologists of the world to figure out. Thanks so much, Tony. I feel like this was sort of one of those unknown unknowns where you, I'm not necessarily thinking totally. that, you know, that it's like aldosterone coming from um, adipocytes that could be. <laughs> you know, part of the problem or that the kidneys themselves are the main issue. So thank you so much for that. But do you have any take-home points for us? Yeah. So I've got a, a three take-home points. Um, so number one, HEF-REF is associated with decreased cardiac output and neurohormonal activation. And this is probably the main way that these patients become sodium avid. HEF-PEF alternatively is associated with preserved cardiac output, at least at rest, and less neurohormonal activation. And so the the sodium avidity in HEFPEF, I would say, remains obscure. For some, it might be due to primary renal sodium retention. For others, it might be related to obesity-mediated increases in aldosterone. And for others, still, there's probably other mechanisms that we just haven't found. So I would say stay tuned. My hope is in the years to come, we're going to find out a lot more about this. Awesome. All right. That wraps up another episode of The Curious Clinicians. Thank you, as always, for joining us. As a reminder, you can join our mailing list at CuriousClinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed notes delivered directly to your inbox. We are excited to partner with VCU Health to offer CME and MOC credits for physicians and other healthcare professionals just for listening to this episode. For more information, you can visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash CuriousClinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians. Bye.